Hi there. Thanks for joining us today for our special Good Friday service. You may be watching on our Hunter Christian Church uh, Right Now media channel. You might be watching on YouTube. You may have somehow stumbled across us through Facebook or one of the other platforms that we have set up so we can share Easter together. You know, if you think about it, this is the first time in all of history that the celebration of Easter has had to happen remotely. You know, even from the first Easter, they were together and they met together so often. But here we are 2000 years later, needing to celebrate Easter uh, socially isolating or socially distancing. So that's a fascinating thought. You know, you know, I love Easter uh, for a couple of reasons. Yeah, I like the chocolates. I like the hot cross buns. And if you're wondering, I, I like white chocolate and I don't mind whatever hot cross buns. Just don't get me gluten free hot cross buns. And so um, more than enjoying the food of Easter, I love celebrating the truth of Easter. And and at the end of my message today, we are going to share communion together. And so if you aren't ready for that yet, I'd encourage you to, you, to, to press pause now. Uh, well, not now. Pause after I tell you what to do. Uh, press pause and go and grab some bread or some juice. It doesn't really matter what you use. But we are going to take some time at the end of this uh, time together to celebrate communion with one another. I'll let you press pause now. Welcome back. And so um, for, for me, Easter is the uh, it's the pinnacle of, of the, the, the festivals of Christianity. For me, Easter is the crescendo of all we believe. In fact, all of Christianity hinges on the very truths of Easter. So, yeah, I love, I love Christmas. I think it's wonderful to celebrating God becoming man. But Easter is where we as the church discover the power of Christmas. We discover the, the, the reason for Christmas. And so when you come to Easter, it's really difficult. We've got to be careful we don't separate Friday from Sunday. We can't separate the two events. They are, they are two sides of the same coin. They are two acts of the same play. And to remove one from the other would be really unhelpful. And so while the events of Easter occurred 2,000 years ago, I believe the message of Easter is so essential and so relevant for today. If you're watching this in the future, you know, who knows where these videos go. Uh, but we are, uh, this is 2020, we are in the middle of our uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic and our churches cannot uh, meet together. And so the message of Easter for us right now for today is really essential because it's a message of hope. Uh, in the face of hopelessness. It's a message of uh, hope in the face of helplessness, in the face of despair, in, this, in the face of death. And I know, I know you're watching the, the same news that I'm watching and, watching and reading the same uh, posts on the internet. And across the world, it's a, this is a difficult time and there's a lot of pain and a lot of darkness and a lot of hurt and a lot of uncertainty and, and, and a lot of fear. And for me, this message of Easter is so important. It's so essential for us. It's uh, not just a message that affects our world. It's a message that, that reaches into our inmost being and it can bring peace to us, bring peace to us on the inside uh, in these times of really uncertainty. And so my message this morning um, is no matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're going through today, no matter your circumstances, no matter the situation, there is always hope. So back in the first century, things were also a bit difficult in Israel. They were ruled by the Roman Empire and they were under the, the Roman control and leadership. The Romans allowed the Jews to continue their worship services 
and they gave them their religious freedoms, but they were always under the watchful eyes of the Roman governors. So in the first century, Jesus was in the public arena for three and a half years. He was teaching, he was healing people, he was explaining who God was, he was showing the nature of the kingdom. Uh, he was also challenging their religious leaders, he was challenging their religious structures and their systems. And the Jewish leaders were afraid that Jesus would cause an uprising, that, that Jesus would cause the Jews to revolt against the Romans and against their religious systems. Now, if, if that was to happen, the whole, for the religious leaders, the Bible calls them scribes and Pharisees, if that was to happen, their safe, cushy, comfortable way of life would be threatened because they had a pretty lucrative religious system. And if Jesus was to to raise up the, the common people against the religious systems, um, their lovely, nice way of life would be demolished. Not only that, Jesus was challenging their shallow religion. He was challenging their faith and he was exposing their hypocrisy. You see, the Jewish people were waiting for their Messiah. They were waiting for the king to come and deliver them from the oppressors. In this case, it was the Romans. But they were not expecting their king to be born in a manger. Jesus wasn't at all what they were looking for. The, the, the boy who was born in a manger who grew up as a carpenter. So they rejected, on the whole, the Jewish nation rejected his claims. And they closed their eyes to the truth and to the person of Jesus, the truth that would set them free. And rather, the religious people, religious leaders, they set out to kill Jesus, to destroy him and remove him from the scene. So if you know the Easter story, which I'm sure many of you do know the Easter story, uh, the religious leaders bribed one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, to betray him. And the events of Good Friday begins the, the, the time after Jesus gathers with, with his disciples and has with them what we know as the Last Supper, sharing a Passover meal. And as I said, at the end of the service, we'll also share in memory the meal that Jesus had before he went toward the cross. And so the location of the narrative of the Easter story moves from the upper room. It moves to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And it's on the Mount of Olives. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, that we get a, a, a glimpse of Jesus's humanity. And we discover that he was as human as you and me. He felt pain. He felt the emotional pain and grief. He felt disappointment. He felt betrayal and he felt abandonment. So our journey through Good Friday today is going to be in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14. And so if you need to, you can press pause, get your Bibles out, get your uh, devices out, look up Mark chapter 14. And we're going to start at verse 40, uh, 32. So this is after the Last Supper, verse 32. They went out, uh, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and he prayed the same prayer as before. 
And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won. Sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming.
What a great video that was. The truth is, Sunday is coming. And no matter how difficult Friday was for Jesus, Sunday was coming. On Friday, we find him in the garden, betrayed, arrested, and abandoned. How good to know when things seem impossible that Sunday's coming. How good for you to know that if you feel abandoned, if you feel betrayed, if you feel alone, friends, Sunday is coming. So let's go to Mark chapter 14, verse 53. So he was arrested in the garden. And then they took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priest and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they can put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. See, on Friday we find Jesus in the high court, standing before his accusers. The religious leaders wanted to kill him. They were seeking any opportunity, any reason to try him guilty and sentence him to death. So they found people to, to lie about him. Verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and he made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. And then some, of the, then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. <coughs> How good to know that if it seems like people are against you, that Sunday's coming. So we've looked at Jesus in the garden. We've seen him at the high priest's house. And so now the Jews knew that they didn't have the power or the authority to crucify or to kill anyone. So they took him to the Roman governor, whose name was Pilate. Now, now another gospel will tell us that, that Pilate, um, he tries to pass the, the decision back to the Jews and so sends him back to Herod, King Herod. But then King Herod sends him back to Pilate. And so the priests are making allegations against Jesus and Jesus didn't say a word. Chapter 15, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, You have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Pilate even tries to find a way to help Jesus. And the custom was every Passover, which is a Jewish festival, uh, the Roman, Romans would release uh, one prisoner every year. So he goes to the crowd and says, Would you like, verse 9, Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand 
the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate could see this man was innocent. Pilate was trying to find a way to release him. So Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man? You call the king of the Jews. They shouted back, Crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then he turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Pilate didn't want to create another riot or, or disturbance in Jerusalem. So he gave in to public pressure and sent Jesus away to be killed. He knowingly sentenced an innocent man to his death. How good to know that in the face of injustice, that Sunday is coming. Now it's the soldier's turn. It never fails to amaze me how, how wicked and, and evil people can be, often at the expense of those that are vulnerable, those that are weak, those that have no voice. Verse 16, the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. You know, this is still Friday. These soldiers didn't realise that Sunday was coming. They did not understand that they were mocking and beating and abusing the King of Kings. So they placed a cross on his back. And Jesus is made to walk and to carry his cross to his place of his own execution. But he was so weak, so they grabbed someone from the crowd, a passerby, to carry the crowd. His name was Simon, verse 20 and 21, who was from Cyrene. He was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. You know, this walk happened on a Friday. Isn't it good that Sunday's coming? Aren't you glad that we know the end of the story? Aren't you glad that, that Sunday was coming and, and no one else knew that truth? It was still Friday. The walk was on Friday. The pain was real on Friday. The humiliation, the shame, the exhaustion. On Friday it was hard. How good to know that if you feel misunderstood, if you feel mocked, if you're feeling abused or hurt or, or rejected, can I tell you something, friends? Sunday is coming. Then we come to the cross in verse 22. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning, Friday morning, when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of the law also mocked Jesus. Ha! He saved others, they scoffed. 
but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, let this King of Israel come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. On this hill, far away, stood an old rugged cross. You might remember the name or the words to this old hymn. A symbol of suffering and shame. That's what the cross was. It was a symbol of suffering and shame. And this happened on Friday. You know, things can, fiddle, things can be really hard on Friday. Things can seem to be going bad to worse on Friday. On Friday, you could be facing hard, difficult times. How good to know that Sunday is coming. Verse 33. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lema shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? For three hours on Friday, darkness covers the earth. Creation groaned and mourned over the death of the Creator. The Father turns his back on the Son. The Son cries out in despair, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a, the scream of separation. As the, the Trinity, the eternal union between Father and Son was wrenched apart. Yet this was the cost to save humanity. This was the cost of our freedom and our hope. And this was the price that Jesus was willing to pay. And I love that old cross. We're the dearest and blessed for a world of lost sinners were slain. Remember, it may feel like Friday, but Sunday was coming. Verse 33, or verse 37. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. For many people, Friday was a good Friday. The priests thought it was a good Friday. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people. The soldiers thought it was a good Friday. See, on Friday, Jesus was just a carpenter with a huge claim. Jesus was only a miracle worker or a good teacher. On Friday, Jesus in their eyes was just another rebel. Just someone else trying to create a... A insurrection against them. On Friday he was a great teacher. On Friday he was a great man. On Friday he was not the Son of God. But it's Friday. Jesus is dead. His followers are beaten. Hope is lost. But Sunday's coming. See, Friday without Sunday would be a great tragedy. The cross without the empty tomb is totally meaningless. See, without the resurrection, the cross is devastating. Not just for the original followers of Jesus, but for all of humanity and all of creation. See, without the resurrection, we discover that evil wins. That without the resurrection, that death is the end. That there is no victory. Without the resurrection, there is no meaning to life. Without the resurrection, the weak will always be oppressed. They'll be downtrodden 
and they'll be abused by powerful people. Without the resurrection, mankind is eternally lost. Christianity has no power and we have no hope. The Apostle Paul would say this, And if Christ was not raised from the dead, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. That's, that's powerful words. It shows us how important Sunday is to Friday. Because Sunday came. And Friday right now for you, Friday may be your foreground. But can I tell you, Sunday is your background. The world that we live in today may seem dark and desperate and even painful. But Sunday's coming. We are Sunday people. We are resurrection people living in a world that is a good Friday world. And that, and that truth, if we can understand that truth, church, that, that we are resurrection people and we are placed to live in a world that seems like Good Friday, if we can remember that, that changes how we live life. It changes the fact that we are placed here to bring hope and truth. And the message of Jesus is so important for today. And that truth should empower us to be hope bringers to those around us, to bring truth bringers and to be uh, to bring life and joy and light into the darkness of the world that we live in today. It may seem like Friday. It may seem like your foreground. But Sunday is coming. Sunday is your background. What a wonderful truth that is for us to remember today. Before we move to communion, I'm going to pray. So Father God, I just thank you for... I thank you for Friday. And I thank you for Sunday. Jesus, I thank you that you would lay down your life. You said no greater love has man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus, I thank you for you laying down your life for us. I thank you that you went through all that you went through for me. That I could find forgiveness, that I could find hope, that I could find life. And Jesus, I just thank you that you emptied yourself of life so that we could be filled with it. And Lord, I just pray for all of us today, those that may be facing circumstances that seems like a Friday, darkness and despair and pain and abandonment and grief and betrayal. Lord, whatever it is that we're facing, uncertainty and doubt and fear, Lord, I just pray that we'd understand that the background to our Friday is Sunday. It's your resurrection. It's your life. It's your power. It's your hope in us. So I thank you that Sunday not only is coming, I thank you Sunday has already come. And I thank you in your precious name. Amen. You know, the, the heart of Easter, the, the very foundation of Easter, it's all about love. It's about an extraordinary, extravagant love that Jesus had for us, that would he'd come and die for us. As I said, Jesus told his disciples that no greater love has man than this, that, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And so the cross for us becomes God's greatest expression of love. We're now going to get together to uh, share communion. And although we're in different homes scattered across different places, we are, going to, we are united by a common act that Christians throughout the centuries have been doing together that they've been celebrating. We're going to remember the Passover meal that, that
that Jesus shared with his disciples. And, and through this, we're going to remember Jesus because that's what happens and that's what he told us to do. But it strengthens our relationship with one another. And I find every time I partake in communion, I'm so mindful of Jesus' life in me. As I partake of the, the, the bread and the juice um, or the wine or whatever you use. Uh, but as, you, as we remember those things symbolize Jesus in us, then I'm reminded that, that I have communion with him. That he is one with me. And that his body and his blood are part of me. And because, and because he died and he rose again, I am also rising again. I am a resurrection person. I live, not on the, I live on the Sunday side of the cross. And so I want to, if, you're, if you're ready for communion, um, that's great. But maybe, you have, maybe you've got it on the table near your minds next to me. And look, I don't know what you have for communion. For me, I didn't have, a, uh, I didn't have my little crackers and, or I've just got a bit of bread. And so it doesn't need to be anything special. It doesn't need to be the loaf of bread. It doesn't need to be anything. Um, you know, I want to encourage you that uh, I want you to get your family, bring them together. Uh, if you need to, you're welcome to press pause and get us all together. For you, you might have some juice. You might say, well, Jesus had wine. Well, in my case, I've got this. This is a, this, yes, this is the real Holy Grail. And so you're wondering, Indiana Jones didn't have it. I've got it. And so um, in this is not wine, in this is water. Um, and for a couple of reasons. Number one, I didn't have wine. Uh, number two, I don't drink wine. And number three, I didn't have grape juice. But you know what? Jesus turned water into wine. So I'm going to, let's see what happens with that. Actually, I'm just kidding. Um, it doesn't really matter what we're drinking because what Jesus was identifying is that they are, they are symbols representing truth. And so... Um, and I'll get, so I'll use this and I'll use my slice of white high fiber bread uh, to, to join you in this. So if you need to press pause, press pause and come to get back together as soon as you're ready. Welcome back. And so um, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and then we will uh, do this together. So uh, we're going to go to Luke, Luke chapter 22, verse 19. And this is Luke's uh, story of the Last Supper. And it's, Luke says that Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. So effectively he took bread. In this case he didn't have a, didn't have a slice like this. He had a unleavened bread. They were celebrating their Passover. They were celebrating when God would deliver them from Egypt. But Jesus took bread and he broke it. And um, then he gave it out to his disciples, to Matthew, to Mark, to Luke, to John. This, uh, this is when you need to know that disciple song that Bob taught us um, a few months ago. You know all the rest. But you know what? He gave a piece to Judas. He knew Jesus would, Judas would betray him, but he still gave it to him. So Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks to God for it. So we're going to give thanks to God for the bread. So Jesus, I just thank you that this bread helps us to remember your body that you gave for us. You, gave, you willingly gave your body to be beaten, scourged, whipped, 
bruised, pierced. And I'm so grateful for that. Don't eat yours yet. Put it aside for a second. And then he took the cup of wine. And he said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. In Romans, Paul tells us, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Friends, the way, the way any of us are ever made right with God, it's not by doing good stuff or trying harder or praying more or giving more or doing more. What we learn is the way that we can be made right with God is simply believing that Jesus sacrificed his life for you and for me and he shed his blood. The Bible also tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So as we close this service, we've got a special little song that some of our church family have done for you. And so I'd encourage you to have your, your, your juice, your wine, your water, your coffee, whatever it is that you are using to, to remember this Jesus's blood that was shed for you on Good Friday, that it's his blood that forgives us. So you'll, you'll have that ready. You've also got your, your slice of bread or cracker or, or cob loaf or tiger bread or gluten-free bun or whatever you have. You've got that ready. It doesn't matter what it is, but you're remembering what Jesus did. So we've got this song that's got to play. And as the song plays, I want to encourage you, when you feel ready, for you as a family or a group of people, um, well, a family, to... Just meditate on the truth of the words of this song. And when you're ready, you can eat and you can drink. And when the song is finished, I want to encourage you to spend a little time just thanking Jesus for what he did and thanking him for the cross and thanking him that Friday was not the end. And so before we press play on the, or before the screen, before you lose track of me, basically, I want to tell you something. Don't forget Sunday is coming. Now, this, this time I'm talking about the real Sunday, which happens uh, in, in two days' time. And so on Easter Sunday, we've got a great service for you. Sarah McCutcheon is going to be preaching. And so I am so looking forward to celebrating the resurrection of power uh, of Jesus um, with our whole church family. And for those that are just watching in, we're so glad you joined us. And so um, I'll, I'll be, I'll, you'll be seeing me on Sunday. And we just want to continue to let you know that we're praying for you and loving you. No matter what Good Friday may look like, no matter what how hard your foreground is, we are resurrection people. That's who we are. And we're placed in this Good Friday world. And so we're going to watch the video now. Please partake together and make sure you pray together as a family. Maybe if you're home by yourself, just very briefly, if you're home by yourself, why don't you send a text to someone um, that... Uh, and, and set up a time later today that you could have a chat, have a pray and celebrate and thank Jesus together, have communion together and celebrate what Jesus did. God bless you. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, Bye.
sin of men and wrath of God has been on Jesus Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Behold the empty 
Hallelujah.